0: Hey guys, welcome to Radio Silence, where we're bringing science into focus here on Radio Fodder. My name is Kai, I'm studying a PhD in physics, and today I'm joined by Kate.
1: Hey, I'm here too. Uh, yeah, I'm Kate, I'm doing my PhD in neuroscience. Um Ooh. Yeah, but today... I was going to say today we're not talking about physics or neuroscience, but that's a lie. We will be talking about some physics.
0: Mm, Maybe some neuroscience? And maybe
1: some neuroscience. Mm, I'll see what I can weave in. I'll do my best, as always. I'm sure it'll get
0: in there somewhere.
1: (laughs) I always find a way.
0: (sighs) Yeah, so before we get into that bit of physics, maybe some neuroscience, let's talk about the news. Kate, what's going on in the world?
1: Gosh, a lot of things are going on in the world. Um, But there's one thing I want to talk about in particular, which is a recent study that's just come out of New Zealand, which essentially this study found that uni students are Mm -hmm. distressed by caffeine's side effects, but they continue to consume it anyway. And you know what? (laughs) As a uni student who is distressed by caffeine's side effects and continues to consume it anyway, I can... Um, say that this study probably has some basis to it.
0: Uh, <laughs> the results are not surprising?
1: Not to me. Um, well, yes, alarming, but not surprising. Mm. Um, I'll break it down for you. So this study, they interviewed well, they gave a, a questionnaire, um, like a you know, scientifically validated questionnaire, not just like a, you know yep. to more than 300 tertiary students in New Zealand. And they found that 99.1% of these students, so most mm-hmm. of them, consumed caffeine in some form, whether that be in chocolate, coffee, tea, they were the main ones. Yep. Um, most of the caffeine came from things like coffee, tea, and energy drinks. A lot of caffeine coming from energy yep. drinks. Obviously, they're quite caffeine-dense relatives to something like chocolate. Yeah. Um, Interestingly, they found that the median caffeine intake, so the person in the middle, um, was consuming 146.73 milligrams of caffeine a day. So to put that into context, that's about one and a half cups of coffee. You're looking at about 95 milligrams of caffeine to a cup of coffee. Um, So one and a half cups of coffee as as your median person. So that's Mm. like... Actually, not that much. I was surprised. I was like, that's that's quite small. Um, the minimum intake was some people were consuming as little as 0.07 milligrams per day. So, that's probably through something like chocolate, right?
0: Like a square of chocolate? How much is in chocolate? That's
1: a good <laughs> question. Well, it depends also on the chocolate, right? Where, where how dark the chocolate is and how yeah, milky yeah. the chocolate is. I don't know. I looked up coffee. I didn't look up chocolate. <laughs> Sorry. That's um, all right. But to put it, what I did look up with coffee, do you want to know the maximum? Do you want to know the maximum Yuck. in terms of cups of coffee? So the maximum was drinking or consuming 1,988.84 milligrams of caffeine a day. So that's 21 cups of coffee.
0: Is that even like... See, someone told me that one gram of caffeine was, like, lethal. So this person must be superhuman or something. Yeah,
1: well, the the safe limit that they've ruled in the study was 400 milligrams a day. (laughs) Um, So it's, like,
0: two and a half times the safe limit?
1: So it's, yeah. Plus a bit more? Plus a bit more. Um, And interestingly, 14% of the participants were above this safe limit Um, Mm. and about a third were above what they called the adverse effect level. So, yep. a lot of people are drinking more caffeine than they should, um, yep. which is like, that's not really news to anyone. The, the weirder part, or the more kind of alarming part, I think, was that three quarters of the participants reported experiencing at least one adverse symptom following consumption, and one mm. quarter of those um, reported effects leading to distress or negatively impacting their lives. So you've got a yep. quarter of people drinking caffeine. And so, you know, for example, the negative effects, You're we're talking insomnia, fast or uneven heartbeat, upset stomach, mm-hmm. you know, jitters, anxiety, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, stuff like fast or uneven heartbeat, we're looking at 35% of participants reported experiencing that.
0: Yeah, that's not good.
1: Um, and insomnia was quite high as well. It was around 40% reported being unable to sleep the highest one was needing to pee that was the most commonly experienced (laughs) side effect um but yeah a quarter of these participants reported these like to levels counting as distress um Mm. but experiencing these symptoms to this level did not lead to a reduction in consumption (laughs) in the majority of cases so in 70 percent 77 percent experiencing these symptoms, they were like, no, nah, I don't care, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need the caffeine anyway, got to get my uni work done. Like, this is literally addiction, guys. Like, this is... Yeah. This is, you know, I could, as... As a neuroscientist, um, but you know, like as an addiction neuroscientist, like this is one of the main ways that we define what an addiction is or a substance use disorder is what Mm. they're more called these days is continued use despite negative consequences, despite negative consequences that you are actively aware of, but you just keep compulsively Mm. or whatever, like needing. Yeah, this is, this is concerning. Like I'm not surprised, but I am alarmed. That's that's yeah. all I'll say about that one. Um mm, maybe all all our uni students out there listening. Uh, I assume most of our listeners are uni students. Please just maybe think about your caffeine intake and if you're experiencing heart issues maybe maybe ease up. It's, mm, yeah. You know, I'm not a health professional, <sighs> but that's I'm alarmed. Kai. What news have you got?
0: Well, Maybe not so alarming, but it's pretty interesting. Um, so to start off with, we know that the universe and everything in it is made out of matter. Mm-hmm. and like, yeah, that's pretty straightforward. But we also know that there's antimatter, which is the same mm, stuff I have as heard matter. Of yeah The difference between matter and antimatter is that antimatter has the opposite charge. So, normally, electrons are negatively charged and mm-hmm. protons are positive, mm-hmm. but the, their antimatter counterparts are positive electrons called positrons and negative protons, which are just called antiprotons.
1: This sounds like science fiction. I'm not going to lie.
0: It does. Like, it definitely comes up all the time in science fiction. Mm. And you can actually create atoms out of antimatter. So, you'd have a positron whizzing around a antiproton, gives you anti-hydrogen so okay in basically any other any other like way it's basically the same as hydrogen except the charges is swapped uh-huh so you've you've kind of got like the anti-hydrogen and you could extend that you could go okay if you got a whole bunch of anti-hydrogen you could build up like anti-molecules and anti-whatever made out of antimatter
1: yeah okay
0: though the problem is it's very very rare to see antimatter because one of the weird and cool things and this is probably the reason why it comes up in science fiction so often is that when antimatter and matter combine they just annihilate they completely like cease to exist and all oh, of what? their yeah all of the mass in that antimatter gets released as energy
1: Oh, okay, this is cool. This is wild. And,
0: like, the reason it it comes up in sci-fi is because that amount of energy is, like, ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Compare that to, like, a nuclear bomb or something. If you had an antimatter bomb, Mm -hmm. it would be, like, I don't even know how much more, but billions and billions more energy than the same amount of mass of, of like, yeah, of, like, any sort of nuclear fissile material. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. There's no risk of people making antimatter weapons I was gonna because say, they're, they're more I be likely to like blow themselves up than blow anyone else up because it's really hard to stop it from touching literally anything.
1: Yeah. Mm.
0: Now, um. So, getting back towards where the 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 news story that, that I've got to tell you about. Oh yes, yeah, so I forgot that you were telling <laughs> news, not like <laughs> just cool science blowing
1: my mind. Yeah.
0: Oh, it's it's all one and the same. Yeah. Now it was believed that. All matter in the universe, when the Big Bang happened, it created equal amounts of matter and antimatter. Mm-hmm. And this kind of makes sense because as we know that when matter and antimatter collide, they annihilate, basically vanish. Mm-hmm. You can do the opposite process. If you have enough energy, you can just spontaneously create matter and antimatter and like rip them apart oh, out of nothing okay, or out of just pure energy. So what this suggests is from the beginning of the universe, there was equal amounts of matter and antimatter but we don't see that today. So yeah. where did all the antimatter go?
1: Mhm.
0: Now some where people speculate indeed. oh ma- maybe there's like whole galaxies made out of antimatter and we can't tell because like as far as looking at them goes As far as looking at them goes, you know, they just look like matter. Like we only know it's antimatter if it un- annihilates. Yeah, and right. If there was antimatter... like these collisions happening, we would see the annihilation. It gives off a very distinctive, like gamma ray burst. Okay, and like that suggests that there's nowhere near as much antimatter as as there should be if there was equal amounts at the beginning of the universe. Right. Though recently, I think it was in 2018. So the
1: mystery of the missing antimatter.
0: Yeah, it's it's a big mystery All in right. sort of this sort of cosmology stuff. I'm no booked. one knows wh- where it goes, and. There were some satellites in 2018 that detected eight anti-helium nuclei coming from deep space. Oh, wow. Now, anti-helium is is quite complicated. It's got, um, in this case, either three or four antimatter protons and neutrons all, like, connected together. Uh Uh-huh. And it's coming from deep space. Now, some people were saying, oh, you know, maybe it's not actually. Maybe it's just like gamma rays hitting the detector and it's being created inside the detector through these like just spontaneously being created though scientists have calculated the probability of this actually happening and they're going nah there's no way that could happen and we would there's no way we would see this much antimatter in this short amount of time Mm
1: -hmm.
0: just from these spontaneous creations like it could happen but it's just so unlikely yeah so that's that's leaving the question, well, where did this actually come from? Yeah. Now one possible explanation that some people are saying is a little bit crazy, but at the moment it's sort of the only one that hasn't been disproven okay. is maybe it's coming from antimatter stars.
1: Oh what? Oh what? Yeah. Like anti-stars.
0: Like a star completely made out of antimatter. Oh god. And this makes this makes sense because what in stars like hydrogen fuses to form helium. Yeah. And so in an anti-star, anti-hydrogen could anti-hydrogen fuse to, form to form anti-helium. Whoa. And so astronomers have identified fourteen possible antimatter stars.
1: Oh, what? But they're
0: still they're still in the process of actually verifying this. So there's a couple of other things that it could give off this similar signature that is not an antimatter star. Mm-hmm. But they're currently trying to determine whether that is the case or not.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So. If these turn out to be actually antimatter stars, then it's really a mystery as to how they still exist. Because Mm. if, you know, reasonable amounts of matter were to come into contact with them, they would annihilate. And that probably would have happened billions of years ago because we don't, like, there's barely any antimatter around that we can see. Yeah. So, there's two explanations. Either... The these stars are actually in the outer regions of the galaxy where there's not that much matter, mm-hmm. so they don't like they've survived long enough. It. Yeah, yeah. Or there's actually far more antimatter spread throughout yeah, the Milky Way galaxy and so than only previously antimatter we thought. Has
1: collided with it.
0: Yeah, so it's it's been in a sort of antimatter region that's that's you know yeah. not annihilating this whole time. Whoa. So v- very very interesting stuff Heck and yeah. I yeah we'll be interested to see where that goes because there's some big questions that could be answered with that mm. sort of thing about you know the the age of the universe and and how things all came to be but that's enough for now we're going to take it to a song um before we do that remember you can check us out on SoundCloud if you miss in any of our previous episodes or on Twitter, that's at Radio Silence. And here is a song it's Joy Division with Disorder. Welcome back to Radio Silence, where we're bringing science into focus. That was Disorder by Joy Division, and now Kate is going to tell us about science.
1: tell you about science i will um and very very fitting with the song we just listened to disorder because i am going to be talking about entropy which you know you may have heard as a measure of disorder right that's that's the common line that everyone likes to throw about when they're like what is entropy it's just how disordered something is you know it's why my room's always messy? It's just entropy, <laughs> right? Can you blame? You can't blame me. You can just blame entropy. This is just, you all know, right. which I mean, okay. I'll get into why that's actually kind of actually <laughs> yeah, yeah. correct uh, in a little bit. But you know, first of all. <laughs> What is entropy? I feel like I'm going to be explaining to you, the physicist, <laughs> this yeah, physics concept. Um, our listeners aren't you know. all physicists. Exactly. Um, so
0: let's take take it slow.
1: So I'm gonna I'm gonna go right back to the basics on a very conceptual level. Like if you've got no idea, like what is this word? What is entropy? I've got no idea what you're talking about, Kate. Um, entropy is essentially a measurement of energy dispersion is probably the best way to think of it. So how dispersed, well, energy, first of all, but also like kind of anything. So you've got particles, you've got it on a small scale, you've got it on a large scale. So like, for example, in my bedroom, all of my clothes, like how dispersed are they throughout the room versus very contained within my cupboard Hmm. um, or within my drawers. But like, you know, a more, a better example, if you can visualize like a, glass beaker full of water right and you get a little dropper of food dye and you put a little dropper of food dye in that water you're going to see that food dye say it's blue because that's what it is in my brain right now the blue food (laughs) dye is just going to disperse amongst the molecules of water the little particles of dye and that essentially illustrates entropy where the more spread out you know towards the end the more dispersed those particles mm-hmm. are the higher we say the entropy is or the more okay. contained they are right up in that little dropper right at the start the lower the entropy is mm-hmm. and you know this is this is where the the laws of thermodynamics come into it with the second law of thermodynamics is that entropy always increases right this is what happens things go from a low entropy which is where they're really contained very compressed not disordered mm. to a, a you know a state where they are spread out dispersed um and that you know fundamentally there we go we're done that's entropy no <laughs> There is some Sorry, really Kate,
0: I don't think our listeners will be super satisfied with that no? discussion of entropy. <laughs> no, you've got to do more.
1: Okay. No, it's okay. I've got more. I've got more. Because once you can kind of understand, first of all, that entropy is just a measure of this disorder, this chaos, but also mostly this dispersion, um, yep. and more importantly, that it always goes from a state of low to a state of high, naturally, we get some really cool things coming out, like the fact that, Entropy has also been referred to as the arrow of time. Mm. Whoa, what? (laughs) Like, okay, like, and how we perceive time having a direction. Because time in in most kind of, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, Mr Physics, but in most, when you're talking about time in physics, it doesn't normally have a direction, right? It's just kind of, you know, an amount. No,
0: like, that's true. Like, if you threw a ball up in the air and it came back down, apart from the throwing part, it would look basically the same, mm. like in reverse.
1: Exactly. Um, like it
0: goes up and then it comes down, or it goes up and then comes down. It's yeah. the same thing.
1: Um, but entropy gives a direction to time because you look at things that display entropy. So spontaneously, when things go from a low entropy to a high entropy, so we've got that example of the dropper of food dye dispersing in the glass of water, right? If you If you watched a video of that and you, like, played it backwards you would know what backwards is. Like, if someone Mm. played that to you backwards, you would be able to say, that is backwards. And the reason you can say that with such certainty is because that's never going to naturally happen. The thing is not going to naturally unmix and undisperse. Mm. Um, And you can see it with things like, you know, cracking an egg or smashing a glass or... You know, those things only, we know that they happen in a certain direction because things will go from this state of low entropy to this state of high entropy and you can play it backwards and we know it's backwards. And there's a really cool, I want to take this moment to shout out on YouTube. If we could link via Radio Waves, I would Mm -hmm. link it to you. Oh, I'm going to tweet it. I forgot. We have a Twitter. Follow us at (laughs) Radio Silence. I'm going to tweet the link to this video by Arcapella Science it's, they sing a song about entropic time, first of all, and the song's brilliant. Um, but the whole thing is filmed in reverse. So he's <laughs> doing things like he's getting hit by a water balloon, he's having an egg cracked on him, um, and all sorts of lighting a match, all of these things, but they're happening yep. in reverse. And there's also, like, a making of video, and he learnt how to sing the song in reverse so that he could <laughs> lip sync in reverse. <laughs> Film the whole song, in re- like, in reverse... So that the vid- music video could be like entropy That's and awesome. entropic time being this thing that we perceive going in a certain direction. So it looks like his mouth is singing the words forward, but he's yep. all these things are happening to him in reverse. And it's just,
0: mm-hmm. it must
1: have taken so much time and hard work. And I just, everyone, please <laughs> go watch this video. But it, it illustrates a very fundamental point about entropy. And it's that because of this way that the universe, you know, this fundamental idea second law of thermodynamics, that entropy will always increase, we we can perceive the direction of time. And, like, another way of thinking about this sort of low entropy versus high entropy, it's like, yes, it's dispersed, but it's also, you can think about it in terms of its usefulness, where, like, low entropy things are more useful and high entropy things are less useful, you know, the more spread out the energy already is the less work it can do um because you know
0: well like a concentrated drop of food dye is more useful than a glass of food dye of of slightly
1: blue water like bluish (laughs) slightly more blue than you're used to uh water yeah um exactly and like In terms of heat, that's, that's, heat is a very fundamental sort of demonstration of this, where you know if you have a hot object and a cold object and you put them next to each other, that the heat, which is just, you know, little bits of energy stored within bonds, is going to disperse across those two objects so that they both end up lukewarm. You're never going to get it, so you put two lukewarm objects next to each other and one's going to heat up and the other's going to cool down, because that's the energy compressing itself and, and going from a state of high entropy to low entropy which just doesn't happen and I'll I'll explain kind of why in a second, but, like, yep. naturally, that just doesn't happen. And so, you know, you can you can utilize this. We That's how engines work, you know, and you can get little... You can buy this little, like, toy that you use. It just uses the palm of your hand. You, like, sit it on the palm of your hand, and the heat from the palm of your hand goes into the thing and makes a little piston go, and it makes the toy do, like, mm-hmm. a little dance because it just... <laughs> it, it uses entropy, essentially, and the fact that we always know how energy is going to interact and like so we kind of that's on the really small scale of little energy moving between spontaneously between you know chemical bonds for example but it's also happening on a massive scale right like the biggest scale there is the universe mm. time you know this kind of comes back to the whole arrow of time thing again we in the universe is expanding right we know that the universe is expanding and it started off in a state of you know very very low entropy and then the big bang happened and ever since then things have been expanding and and as energy is dispersing and it's eventually going to keep expanding until the sun burns out and uses all of its usefulness there's no usefulness left in the sun because it's reached a state of you know high entropy and that's what we call the heat death of the universe which Mm. is where We've reached ma- maximum entropy. Uh, but that's a very, 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 very long way away. You don't need to be concerned about that, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. As far as I understand. Um, but, yeah. So, you know, this this is all to explain. This is what entropy conceptually is. This is how it behaves. But we're scientists here. We're not satisfied with that. We want to know. We want to ask why, right? Like, yeah. why is this a thing? Like, Huh? Like why does <laughs> why does stuff spread out? Like we're I I mean I get it. Egg. Social distancing is the new it's <sighs> it's just entropy in action, mm. right? We're we're spreading out. But no. It's okay. And this blew my mind actually when when I fully kind of when this clicked as a concept that it's just probability. It's just stats. It's just the fact that chances are Things are going to end up in a more spread out state than they are in a, in a less spread out state. And I'll explain, you know, that a little bit better than just ambiguously being like, okay. it's just, it just is. But like, think about a chess board, right? Yep. And when you set up a chessboard at the start of a game of chess, you know, every piece has a very specific square that it should be on right yep. there's and, only you know, one way you can there is set only up a chess one board. way or maybe you can you can swap some of the pawns around but essentially right there are very few ways that you can correctly set up a chessboard yep. um and so if if you i don't know got a person and who had no idea what chess was and you were just like go and randomly put all of those things down or every time you just randomly computer generated pressed a button randomly allocated a piece to a square the number of incorrect or like spread out dispersed you know black and white crossing over you know coming across the middle of the board all of that kind of more dispersed options those more incorrect disordered quote unquote There are so many ways for this computer program slash ambiguous person slash alien creature that you've given a strange task. There are so many ways they can get that wrong. There's, like, only one way that they can get it right. And so the chances of it randomly landing on that one way of it getting right, like, that's just not going to happen. Or, like, another great example is a deck of cards, right? There are 52 cards in a deck of cards. Every single card is different. If you, like, threw them up in the air and then gathered them up, the chances that they went in order through the four suits, like, that's 52 cards. That's 52 factorial. That's 8 times 10 to the power of 67. That's 8 with 68 zeros. That is how many different possible combinations of 52 cards there are. So 1 in 8 with 68 zeros is your chances <laughs> of that spontaneously happening. So the the chances are probably of, like
0: more than the number of atoms on earth.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> you know, it's actually obscene. And so that's that's when you're talking about 52 things. When you're talking yeah. about particles, like how many particles of food die and how many water mole- molecules in our glass of water, like what are the chances that spontaneously left to its own devices all that die is going to end up back in that dropper. Like, it's just, it's just so brain-explodingly small that it just does not happen.
0: Yeah. Um, but, like, on the flip side, like, there's n- nothing physically stopping it from happening. It's no, just if you... and
1: you know what's really cool? So I don't remember the exact details of this, but there is a SciShow video on... Once again on YouTube, I'll tweet it. I'll tweet all these things that I am talking about because, like, this is there is so much good science communication out there on like entropy. But there was a, yeah, a SciShow video where they talked about essentially the the loophole in entropy is Mm. that in really small scale systems, like, this can happen. And on the nanoscale, sometimes Ah. it does. Sometimes things will spontaneously, just for a moment, end up going from higher entropy to lower entropy and then moving back and, you know, whatever. But it's something that we, you know, see our episode, last week's episode on nanotechnology and all the cool stuff and exciting stuff that's happening in that realm. You know, as we start to deal with smaller and smaller things, right, we need Mm. to start actually, like, maybe taking this into consideration that, yes, it's, like, functionally this is the second law of thermodynamics, is that entropy always increases. Functionally, that is true. But statistically, like, it's so, so, so small that it just doesn't happen. But, but, but there's always, (laughs) there is that little asterisk there, right? Like, it's, you know, it's, I don't know. I don't know. It's one of those things that, like, and, you know, for example, in situations like, you know, you kind of see in nature, like, Life, for example, or like cells, mm. if you don't, this is, this is where I'm going to get the neuroscience in. It's not really neuroscience, <laughs> but it is biology. Um, a cell membrane. So the, you know, the border of a cell that's made up of lipids that arrange. they spontaneously form cell membranes spontaneously form very organized structures where you have yep. these lip- lipid molecules that line up next to each other like soldiers with the hydrophobic heads out. Uh, Sorry, hydrophobic, hydrophilic heads out, hydrophobic tails in. I wouldn't have known the difference, but that's okay. Hydrophobic, scared of water, (laughs) hides away from the water. I would have been called out on it by (laughs) someone. I would have listened back to the episode and gone, oh, that was wrong. So I just want to make it clear I know what I'm talking about. Uh, (laughs) Not really. Sometimes. Anyway, point is, these things spontaneously happen right and they they end up in as like a cell membrane is a in a lower state of entropy than a bunch of randomly Mm free-floating lipid molecules so why like why does this happen um and that's not because it's on a small scale that's because when you actually look at the system as a whole so you know these things are floating in a fluid of some kind like water and the water molecules actually then get to move around a lot more freely and a lot less Mm. encumbered um and so the entropy of the whole system increases and so it's kind of like a trade-off but you do see these things in life where they you know they trade in entropy so you know you you go from this state of higher entropy to lower entropy to form something else and it gives elsewhere so the overall universal state of entropy is still increasing but It's, I don't know, it's cool stuff. Um, And, you know, watch this space re-nano scale entropy loophole. Oh, I don't know. I, that's more or less all I wanted to go into about entropy, apart from, like, to bring it right back around to the messy bedroom. uh, Excuse (laughs) the fact that my bedroom is, in fact, messy mainly because... Um, of entropy is, like, you can think of that in terms of probability as well, right? Like, it's that shirt that is, like, a messy on bedroom. my floor. I mean, it could be on my floor, it could be on my piano, it could be on my bed, it could be on the desk, it could be on the chair. Like, that's five different ways that it could be not where it belongs and only one way that it can be where it belongs. <laughs> so it just by chance, pure mathematical probability, my room is messy. Uh, judge, I rest my case.
0: Well, maybe you should go... I don't know, turn useful energy like food into useless energy and in the process, make your room in a lower entropy state. Anyway, that's enough talking about entropy for Kate. Uh, Let's take it to another song. This is Supremacy by Muse.
1: Welcome back to Radio Silence here on Radio Fodder. That was Supremacy by Muse. And today we're talking some cool science. We're always talking some cool science. But yeah. Kai, what cool <laughs> science have you got for us?
0: Well, I'm going to talk a bit more about entropy. Now, entropy as sort of this concept in thermodynamics has been known since the 1870s is when they were sort of first discovering it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, Kate, you talked about some really cool examples that we see in in nature and, like, in sort of real life, physical life. But the concept of entropy is probably even more important to things that we do every day that we don't even think about, something that you don't really see. And this was something that they didn't actually consider until about the 1940s. Mm -hmm. And that was the application of entropy to information.
1: Okay. Okay. I am definitely intrigued and also confused.
0: Yeah. So, this, this started becoming, a, a, like, important in the 1940s is when, you know, people were starting to have to deal with information a little bit more. People were communicating with radio and things like that. So, getting, like, thinking about how information was stored and transmitted was starting to become really important.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, Kate, you spoke about how entropy is, is related to disorder and this is a good way of thinking about why information like how information comes into this thing. And mm. the reason this is is because ordered information is easier to store than disordered information. Or it's it's more compact.
1: Okay. Yep. So
0: for example, if i have a 1 terabyte hard drive and it's completely empty, like every it stores information is like in bits of ones and zeros. Mm-hmm. If I say every single bit is a zero, it's completely empty, mm-hmm. I've just told you exactly what's on that hard drive.
1: Yeah, true.
0: So even though it's one terabyte of yeah. potential storage, like I can explain it in yep. you know, a couple of words. Mm-hmm. And even encoding that as audio, that's like a tiny fraction of that hard drive's contents. Mm-hmm. But a one terabyte hard drive that is full of information mm. requires like eight trillion bits of information to describe every single thing on that hard drive.
1: Yeah, right. Just a couple.
0: so, just yeah, just a bit, and just a bit. Yeah, ah. just.
1: <laughs> just eight trillion of them,
0: actually. Oh, <laughs> uh, good one. Thanks. So <laughs> you can see you can see why studying the entropy of the information or information content is really important for things like yeah, you know data compression or or storing data the most efficient way. Mm. Now, it just so happens that often when we are storing information, we actually, like, include a fair bit of redundant information. So, like, like, going back to that hard drive example, 8 trillion zeros is a lot of information to just say this hard drive is empty.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And, like, hard drives themselves sort of do deal with this in a, in a certain way like the first little section of the hard drive will tell you what's on it so you, you know you start yeah. reading the information off it that's why and you when get you always like-
1: buy like a usb stick and it emphasizes itself as like a 250 meg usb stick and it never quite has 250 <laughs> megs on it because it, that little bit's already used up with just yeah, like the information exactly. on itself which is just rude if you ask me
0: well, it's useful. It's kind of useful because you'd rather read that tiny little scrap of information at the start rather than have to go through the entire hard drive reading every single bit of information and go, oh, yeah, it's actually empty. Yeah, that's fair. So it's it's a time saver. It's it's pretty useful. Like, trust me, writing or reading a whole one terabyte hard drive takes a very long time. You don't want to do that just to go, oh, actually, it's empty.
1: Yeah, actually, <laughs> there are better ways to spend my time. That's fair. I'll cop that. There,
0: there definitely are. So it's, it's important that we want to think about reducing the size of data to increase its entropy, which is usually the opposite of what we think. Like useful data has a high entropy because it's, it's like compacted or high entropy per bit. Mm-hmm. Now, that's, that's because we, we want to reduce the number of bits. So you want to get like the most amount of information content into the least amount of space. Right. Now, people have thought about different ways of doing this. For, and probably one of the oldest example not necessarily the oldest, but a really old one that, that's kind of relevant for the time period where the people started thinking about this is Morse code. Oh, and the reason yeah. this is like that this, you know, thinks about entropy is because it uses shorter sequences of dots and dashes for more common letters. So, for example, the letter E is a single dot, while Q is dash, dash, dot, dash.
1: Yeah. So, they make it more efficient. Makes sense.
0: Exactly. So, if you're trying to send English text, like, there's a lot more E's than Q's. So, Mm. the whole text is made much shorter by sending Mm. E's as dots and Q's as longer strings, rather than making everything the same length.
1: Mm. I respect that.
0: (laughs) so it's it's really important to to think about that like Morse code's a really simple communication method. Obviously, we have much more complicated ones that can send more than just letters, but it's also really important to think about that in today's communication. Mm. and one of the places where that's really relevant is in like data compression. so when pretty much always when you send information on the internet like even the audio that you're listening to now mm. that's compressed in some way from its original format yes so you you want to try and get as much information content into as little like physical data or bits as mm-hmm. as you possibly can because if you needed like you would need much faster internet to send like the same audio file as a raw audio file rather than as a compressed mp3 mm. Now and the trade off speak-
1: for quality wouldn't necessarily be worth it.
0: Well, that's that's where entropy like comes in because okay. there is an audio format called FLAC and that's spelled F L A C. I think it's free lossless audio compression. Okay. And it can compress an audio recording by generally around 40 to 50%. So it's like half the size. Mm-hmm. Which is you know, pretty useful mm. if you can if you can send the the raw audio file at half the size. Oh yeah. But the cool thing about it is it's lossless. So you're not actually reducing the quality of the file. You're not losing any information.
1: Okay, like any at all.
0: Not nothing at all. How? Like You can completely recreate the file at the end. Well, that's because the original recording is, it's, like, the entropy is not optimized. Like it's it's there's redundant information or redundant recording of information. Okay. So the amount of information that you're allocating, say it's like, you know, 30 seconds of audio, Mm -hmm. you could use every bit of data in that 30 seconds to encode quite a lot of information. Mm -hmm. But when you're just encoding it as audio, you're kind of wasting some of that potential a little bit. Mm. And we think about this like, you know, there's empty space in between sounds sometimes Mm -hmm. so rather like you could you could think about well you know rather than sending a string of zeros you just say okay we need two seconds of empty space Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's like a really simple way you could like compress the file or make it it smaller but still convey the same information Mm.
1: and then does it need to be like uncompressed on the other end to listen to it
0: yeah it does and that's that's fine, but that's like they've come up with this yeah, algorithm yeah. that's able to compress and decompress. No, I and- was
1: just trying to follow whether you could compress it in that way and then be listening to the compressed form without losing information. But if it's just a way of like compressing it to send it without losing information and then you uncompress it to listen to it, that makes sense to my brain.
0: Well, yeah, of. and and you you kind of have to do that. Anyway, like, if you're yes. encoding yeah. information as, like, a string of ones and zeros, like, that's not sound. You well, need true, to,
1: you need to turn it into vibrations. You need to turn it
0: back into vibrations. So, yep. like, we think this sort of true. changing of formats happens yeah. all the time. good point. So, um, some of the ways that this FLAC audio file, like, works is it takes advantage of some of the, the characteristics of audio. Like, I gave an, a really simple example of just, like, empty space, but... Most audio recordings are much more complicated than that. And one of the things that it, it takes advantage of is that sound usually has like a wave-like shape. Yes. So, it can use... Sound waves like,
1: are a thing that I've Sound heard waves
0: are waves, <laughs> <laughs> conveniently. And it can use... Like, it can go, okay, well, like, say it's like a, a nice smooth sine wave. It can use a mathematical approximation oh. to go, okay, that's a sine wave. Or like... It gets more complicated than that and it's 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 clever in the way that it does it. Yeah. But those sorts of descriptions are much more like concise or use less data to encode right. that information content than just like you know, having a little number for every single mm. sample of the audio. So it's it's much more efficient at encoding the same information content.
1: Mm, that's smart. I like that.
0: Um some other clever things that they do with this is So if you have a stereo recording, you know, it might have slightly different information going to both ears, so you can hear like hear different sounds in each ear. Mm -hmm. But usually most of the information is common to both ears. Mm. Like there's you hear Mm -hmm. when you hear a stereo recording, it's not just like half of it's in one ear and like completely different halves in the other. There's like a crossover. Mm. So it can take advantage of that and go, oh well, you know, most of this is only one audio track not two so we can we can encode that more efficiently yeah so it's really really cool how people have thought about using entropy and like this concept of disorder to think about how you can make like data transmission more efficient mm. now we spoke about mp3s and you brought it up Kate about like this idea of losing quality now mp3 is a compression Method for audio, mm-hmm. but and it's even more efficient than FLAC in that you can make like audio, you know, a fraction of the size, mm. like s- less than ten percent of it's the original tiny. recording. it's Really small, but it is lossy, so you lose yeah. information by doing that. But that's not to say that the people that make MP3 or like came up with this idea of MP3 like didn't think about what information you were going to lose.
1: Mm, And what they've actually done... strategically lossy.
0: Very strategically lossy. They use psychoacoustics, which is... Oh, sounds fancy. Yeah, the concepts, like, of how your brain or, like, you know, comprehends sounds Mm -hmm. to remove... They only remove information that's not really necessary. Yeah, okay. So there's a whole bunch of different things that are are really cool um, that your brain, like, just cleans out different sounds because you can't hear them Mm -hmm. like it just ignores certain sounds because it deems them irrelevant Mm -hmm. um one example of that is if you've got like someone like someone talking to you really loud in in one ear and someone whispering in the other ear like you you even though you could probably hear the whispering person normally like Mm -hmm. when you've got a loud person next to you you don't hear them
1: See, here's the neuroscience. I told you we'd, yeah, we'd I come told, into yeah. You brought it up, not me. I know, I know. I was, I was, I was sitting there you. going, oh,
0: Kate's going to be happy when this comes out. Yeah. But-
1: um, no, <laughs> it's true. Our brains are very good at filtering how we perceive our surrounds based on, generally based on, like, survival needs, right? So you're going to be more likely to pay attention to, like, a loud, more urgent-sounding sound than a whisper because you probably need to hear someone screaming about the predator more than you need to hear the essential whispers of whoever's <laughs> next to you. Um, and so when given those two options, we we block out the one that's not as necessary in order to hyper-focus on the, yeah. you know, there's the neuroscience. I got in there. Thank there you we for the it. opportunity.
0: No worries. <laughs> um, and yeah, when you're encoding MP3s, they, they use things like this to cut out unnecessary... Information Like, they get rid of the whole whispering part because Mm. you're not going to perceive that anyway. Yeah. So why do we even need it there? Like, let's just get rid of it. Um, They also cut off, like, sort of higher frequencies that, like, most people, you know...
1: It'd be like the visual equivalent of cutting out the infrared and the ultraviolet light of a visual thing because you can't really see that anyway. So we don't need those wavelengths.
0: That's exactly true. And now some people... Like audio purists, like oh, MP3 doesn't sound the same. But- Cough,
1: my brother. Cough. <laughs> <laughs> Send
0: it to me in a WAV format only. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah. So, like, some people claim they can hear the difference, but for most people <laughs> listening through like cheap headphones or whatever, you know, you, there's no way you can tell the difference between a decent MP3 and like a, a raw WAV file or even yeah. a FLAC, which which is lossless. Yeah. So, yeah. It doesn't really matter that much. Um, But yeah, it's it's so cool how how much they've thought about getting this information like into Mm. the most compact format Mm. possible. And like, it's not just audio. Like I've only spoken about audio because I think it's a fairly easy to understand example. But the same thing Mm. happens with like pictures. Mm -hmm. Um, They they do it in like there's lossless and lossy Mm -hmm. uh, like image compression. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, both of them, like talk about like the entropy, but also some of these sort of perceptual things. Like, um, you know, JPEG is a really common picture format, but it uses, it's a lossy picture format. It loses information. Yeah. And it tries to do it in a way that we, you know, you don't, you can't tell the difference. If it's low quality, like you definitely can, but, you know, there's a trade-off between information size and information content. Yeah. And and we try and and make it most, as efficient as we possibly can, and that's all got to do with entropy.
1: Oh, it's uh, that's wildly cool, isn't it? fascinating how just and once again entropy is all just like probability it's all just things Mm. just happening i it's wild it's wild (laughs) anyway that wraps wraps up today's episode remember you can listen to this episode again if you loved it in previous episodes on our SoundCloud. follow us on twitter at radio silence and this is wasted by the lazy susans